0: This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. Today, you are going to get a front row seat to the memorable career of former Springbok centre Christian Stewart. Christian, welcome to Front Row Rugby.
1: Thanks very much, Peter.
0: Now, before we begin our conversation, let's take a look at the trivia question for this week. In 2022, the Springboks suffered a first-ever defeat at home against a certain European opponent. Name the team. Now, if you know the answer to the question, you can put it in the comment section down below. We'll also find out if Christian knows the answer, but we'll do that at the end of our conversation. Christian, I want to begin our conversation with your Canadian roots. I know you were born there. You played for the Canadians, but you also played for Western Province at home. You also represented the Springboks. Talk to me about that.
1: Peter, yeah, so I... I played my first game for province out of Stellenbosch University in 1987, having played in the courses there. And the next thing I was picked into the um, the Victorians team. Then I was in the Stellenbosch first side and the following week is on the province side. So in those days, you wouldn't come through the squad system. I mean, if they spotted you at, at courses, you would literally you know, be fast tracked. So I was quite undercooked compared to today's players who've been in the gym and training. Um, for three or four seasons at least before they ran on for a provincial game. Anyway, long story short, I played, debut in 1987. And, of course, we weren't in international sport until 1992. And in 1991, I, in fact, 1990, I played a Curry Cup final. Gee, I might get my dates mixed up here. Yeah. And the Canadians... Um, Saw that I'd played in this final, and and, and the, the caption came up that I was born in Canada. So they got hold of me and said, "Why don't you come and play in a World Cup?" So uh, that was it was simple, simple as that. I arrived at a club, nobody knew I was coming. It was a uh, very amateur sport, obviously back then, still is in Canada, which is why they haven't taken the necessary steps to improve um, over the last twenty odd years. Um, and uh, started off in the third team for a club called Meriloba, which was a wonderful experience, um, and ended up being picked for the provincial side, and then getting picked for the national side, and debuting against Scotland um, in a game in New Brunswick. I was living in Vancouver, um, where we actually beat the Scottish side. It was the first time a Scottish, uh, sorry, a Canadian side had ever actually. Defeated a first tier nation. So it was Canada's first real victory, and I was part of that in my debut. So it was a nice way to um, start out for Canada with a win.
0: And perhaps a sign of things to come because Canada actually reached the quarterfinals of the World Cup in 1991. How strong was that side?
1: Well, um, interestingly, they've now realized that um, certainly for the short term future, it's unlikely that a Canadian side is ever going to get to a quarterfinal of the World Cup. In fact, Canada aren't even in this year's World Cup, sadly. Um, so they've arranged a dinner now where we're going to be inducted into the Canadian Hall of Fame because it's dawned upon them that it was a hell of an achievement by the 1991 um, World, World Cup side. So, yeah, I think we were, we, we were a good side. I don't know why that was. Um, it's actually a good question. Um, it just happened to be a – we had a hell of a strong pack. Uh, and Canadian rugby was very influenced by New Zealand back then, um, where uh, the 12 was designated to, to to run it up. It wouldn't really go any further than that. And um, they played pretty much like a, accordingly, a a 12-man game. So I think when I came along, and I'm digressing a little bit, um, I, I brought a bit of width to the Canadian game plan that hadn't been there before, um, and, yeah, we, um, we had a great World Cup and we ended up, we, we narrowly lost to France in our No one had ever beaten France in our We lost 13-11. And um, we got through to the, but we got through to the corner. I think it was in the pool stages. It was a long time ago. <laughs> um, and we lost, we lost res, res, uh, respectively to New Zealand. I think the score was twenty seven thirteen, 13 if I'm not mistaken. And we actually won the second half. So that was our claim to bat, but, but we had a hell of a strong pack of boards. We had some great, uh, yeah, we had some great Canadian names in that, in that, uh, board pack.
0: I've got to ask you then, going into 1995, Canada perhaps very unlucky with the draw, being in the same pool as Australia and uh, South Africa, the defending champions and the defend or the champions in waiting, as it turned out. Do you think that maybe if Canada had had a, a kinder draw, the quarterfinals was a possibility again in '95?
1: I think that might have been a stretch. Yeah, I think by that stage, um, it was going to be a hell of a yeah a hell of a ask for us to to move through the. Um, to move through the, the the top sixteen, but I suppose um, in knockout rugby anything can happen on the day, so you, you'd always back your chances. But um, yeah, it was a it was a tough ask. Um, that Australian game was we were never going to beat Australia. We were we were never going to beat South Africa. So we gave it a full crack, and um, I think the scores were fairly respectable. I, I, I don't remember the Australian score, but. Uh, Yeah, it was a tough pool. I think it was called the pool of death in that particular World Cup.
0: Christian, I've got to ask you, having played in 91 and 95, how would you compare the organisation of the two tournaments?
1: You know, for me, it was back in South Africa, um, whereas 91 was in Europe, in England and France, and we were based in France. Look, it's always wonderful to leave your home country and especially to to be in Europe. I think it might have been the first time I'd ever... Spent time on European soil. So it was certainly very special playing in Europe. It was special playing in South Africa. Um, Obviously, the game had moved on and the the World Cup had become a bigger deal and South Africa were in it, playing in South Africa. Yeah, the World Cup 95 was superbly put together by the South African rugby union, World Rugby, whoever it was back
0: then. Okay, I think that's enough Canada questions for now. Let's move on to your Springbok career. Just before you actually did make your debut for the box, talk to me about how it became possible for you to play for South Africa.
1: So interestingly, back then, you could play for two countries. Um, and in January of 1995, World Rugby introduced a ban. Uh, sorry, a stand-down period of three years, which I was told... That subsequently when we found out about this, um, that was put in place to stop the, the Samoans, the South Sea Islanders, playing for New Zealand. Um, so we weren't aware of this. Canada actually came on tour. So when I left Canada in 91, I came back to South Africa. It was my intention to try and play for South Africa, and and, and um, I didn't get picked, short story. Um it's Christie then picked me to play against Samoa in the game, in the warm-up game, the last official test before the 95 World Cup. So after that Super 10, I was picked at 12 to play against Samoa. Um, that team went to the IRB, and I had played for Canada, who came to Italy. I was playing in Italy with AJ Fenter at And they had toured Italy, France, and England. And I said, why don't you hop on the tour? And for a bit of extra money, I said, great. Um, with the intention that I was going to come back and try and play for South Africa, which was a bit silly now that I think about it. But it was it was legal in those days to, to have done that. Um, so when the team got sent to the IRB, uh, Edward Griffiths called me to congratulate me and then had to phone me the next day to say, you've been banned for three years, you played for Canada in December. And I had to, yeah, I, it was a it was a dark day. Um, and then I made myself available for Canada again because it was unlikely that I'd ever see another World Cup um, uh, or, or, or that I'd ever be able to play international rugby because I was now getting on in age. Um, I think I was about 27 at the time. And I thought, well, I might as well play for Canada again. And they were happy to have me. um <laughs> All a little bit strange when I think back now, but um, so I I joined them on tour. I think we went to, I think we played a warm up game for Canada against New Zealand, got a got a thumping and played against Lomu. Lomu actually came off the bench, can you believe it, for that game, um, and then played against England in the other warm up game. Um, at Twickenham, it was the opening of the, of the stadium, the, the new Twickenham Stadium. was incredible and they had a full house. So that was very special to have played in, in Auckland and, um, and at Twickenham uh, in those warm-up games. And then obviously we came to South Africa and played the World Cup.
0: Christian, I know I said enough with the Canada questions, but I have to ask you that you've, uh, or since you've brought it up now, playing against Joan Alamu, uh, was it? were you able to get a sense in that uh, moment that this guy is something special?
1: In the, dress, I mean, in the team meetings before the game, all the talk was about this 19-year-old kid who was a freak, and we he would probably come off the bench, and he's going to be the new superstar. So um, I don't recall exactly what happened in that game, other than we got a we got a hammering. Um, not the only side to have been hammered at at uh, at uh, Eden Park, um, but yeah, I, I don't recall anything specific other than. Um, being astonished by the size of him, but I don't recall what he did that day, but um, that all changed a a month later when he arrived in South Africa and started running over people. You had to catch Lomu on a good day. So Lomu would sometimes take it easy, but if you caught him on a bad day, it wasn't a good day to be at the office.
0: (laughs) Absolutely, as so many players found out. So Christian, uh, according to the records that I've got here, you were 32 when you made your debut for the Springboks. Given your age and given that most players don't make their debut at such a late age, do you think that you appreciated it a little bit more?
1: You know, um, every kid, um, as you can hear by my accent, I mean, I played for Canada I lived in Canada for a year. I was born in Canada. I probably spent 2 or 3 years there as a kid, but every kid going up and growing up in South Africa dreams of playing in those days rugby or cricket for South Africa. So it was always my dream to play for South Africa. Um, but I'd given up on the dream obviously. Um so having come back and we had a um we had a great season under Harry Foulyon um, and then that's the province side after spending time in rugby league in 1996. Uh, sorry, I'm talking nonsense. We, we this, uh, uh, Yeah, that's right. Sorry. I, <laughs> sorry. That's right. So I went to rugby league, came back, uh, played under Harry. We had a great season and then played under Alan Solomons. We had another great season. And, you know, as you know, in any team sport, if the team's going well, the players get picked. So it was a case of I'd actually moved to Flyhop, Um and we had we I mean, we narrowly lost the Curry Cup final in '88. Uh, I think they ruled that Chester's pass the pass to Chester was forward. It wasn't, by the way. And uh, anyway, we we were the form team of the season, and we um, a lot of our players got picked. I, there were a couple of Greek, Greek was it had a great season, so it was a couple of their players. So yeah, I mean, you know, whenever you get selected, you're incredibly grateful. There's so many great players who never played for South Africa. Uh, So many great players in a sport that don't get selected, um, who are just as good as the other players. So anytime you get selected, you're just incredibly grateful and proud. Um, And it's a wonderful moment for your family who've been through this. So to finally have been given the nod, even at the age of 32, where, to be frank with you, I was very much at the end of my uh, end of my career physically um never mind age wise but physically i was uh, i was carrying a lot of injuries um but you could, to some extent you can get away with it in a team sport and you and a, and a position like 12 you're not there for your pure athleticism you're there for your you know for me in, in particular i suppose i was picked to, to do what i did best which was to distribute and, and to defend so i'd like to think that i i did a reasonable job but i was certainly on the wrong side of 30 um, and it was, an, I mean, any time you run out for your province, uh, let alone for your country is just a, an absolute honor. And uh, yeah, wonderful memories. I haven't thought about them for a while.
0: It's interesting that you bring up that 98 uh, Curry Cup final. Uh, as, as my viewers know by now, I uh, grew up in the Cape, so obviously a Western province and a Stormers man. And uh, of course, I also think that Chester scored a legitimate try. And I remember watching it at home with my family. We had a packed house at the time. And uh, I don't think it's appropriate to say what my uncle said at the time, <laughs> that that try was disallowed. Kristen, um, let me ask you, what did it feel like making your debut against Scotland for the Springboks,
1: Franco Smith. That that uh, the, the first test, I wasn't picked. Franco Smith had played twelve, and I was a huge fan of Franco. I thought he was a, a very underrated rugby player. He was an intelligent, highly intelligent rugby player, brilliant distributor, and I really liked Franco. And Franco was in the test side, and the Springboks won that game narrowly, but they didn't go well. And when a team doesn't go well, there were question marks asked, and Franco was left out of the side and I was picked and I felt I, I remember feeling terrible about it Um so of course I was obviously incredibly grateful and honoured as as I've said but it's always tough in a team environment when you have taken somebody's place and you're on tour with the guy, you know you're, you're brothers, you're on tour Um and being the absolute gentleman that he was, he was completely supportive and um, so once I Put that aside. Um, it's also difficult to enjoy the moment because you're there to do a job, and uh, of course, it was it was a controversial selection as well because they picked Bobby Skinstatt and myself, the two Englishmen, um, in a team that had been very successful, um, and they dropped Andre Fenton and Franco Smith. So, to be truthful, there was a bit of What's the word? There was a bit of discomfort in the camp among certain people. Um, and that's something that you've got to deal with in, in a team sport, particularly, as I say, when you're on tour. Um, fortunately, we won against Scotland, as you did back then. Um, the Scottish prospect is a very different one today. It's going to be interesting to see how we go in this World Cup against them, because i tell you something, they're, with a couple of sappers there, they, they could be quite dangerous on, a, on the day. Um, we won that game quite well, and then we, and then Skinstat had an absolute blinder against Ireland. He was absolutely superb that day. We won that game. Um, so when the team's winning, all selections are ticked. All boxes are ticked. Of course, then we played the the last fixture was which was against England at Wickenham, and um, I think it would be comfortable to say that that was just a bridge too far for so many of the players who were carrying injuries, who probably shouldn't have been selected. Um, I know that team went, came off the plane and went straight to hospital and got operated on. So I think there was a lot of loyalty in selection. Um, and, yeah, we lost the game. We lost the game that we should have won. And, and that was a tough... Pull to swallow. It ended up being the last game of rugby I ever played. I came back and I had my neck operated and I had my I don't know, a broken sternum. My Achilles tendons were gone. So, you know, it was the end of season. Every, everybody had been playing for 10 months and carrying injuries. Um, and that's always the challenge of that end of season tour, is that uh, we were at the end of our season there kind of early on in their season. Um, but hats off, of course, to England. We'll pay the, the necessary respect. They, they beat a bloody good South African side. Um, And that, of course, was the 18th win. So we called the record consecutive wins against Ireland, which was 17 on the trot. And that was to break the all-black world record at the time of 80 wins. So, yeah, would have been a nice one to win and end the tour. And end my career with a win.
0: It would have been great, but such is life, I suppose. Christian, tell us, who was your toughest opponent? Walter Little. Elaborate?
1: No discussion. Short answer. Walter Little... I mean, I played against all the great centres of that era. Silla, Silla uh, Carling and Gasket, um Jason Little and Timmy Horan, um, obviously Yapi and Peter Muller and in the South Africans, uh, Brendan Fenter, Christian Schultz. Um, There were so many great centres that I played against, but Walter Little had that ability to run straight at you and you couldn't read him. You didn't know where he was going. He could go left and right, and he would come at you all afternoon. He was just um, relentless. I mean, if they, if they got on the front foot and you were up against Walter Little, he, he was an absolute handle. Bunce was obviously his partner and the more celebrated of the two. Um, but I personally found um, Walter Little to be exceptional. Exceptional.
0: You've handed out quite a compliment there to, to Walter. I want to ask you to compliment yourself a little bit. What, tell me, what, what do you think as a player was your best attribute or skill?
1: A rugby being a team game, the ability to communicate and structure play is so critical. Um, and I think that was a strength of mine that I was... I, I mean, I clashed with most fly halves I ever played with um, because of my... Keenness and um, willingness to embrace a little bit of risk and have a have a go. So I would have thought my strength was that I, I structured play. A lot of people who watch the game as laymen don't understand what goes into structure and play, but most plays that you see are structured. So it's prepared plays. And then from that, you play off the cuff. But there's got to be structures in place. Um, and I, I, I think that was my strength. I had good hands. I was never quick. I was quick enough because it centre, and I always use the analogy or the example, rather, of Johnny Sexton. Johnny Sexton's not particularly quick. He's not particularly great passer. not particularly great kicker. But he's the best 10 in the world. So as an inside back, you're not picked for your, you know, for your pace or your outright athleticism. You pick there to structure play um, and set up set up plays for your, for the athletes outside you. So um, I think that pretty much covers it.
0: <laughs> Christian, I've been told by a couple of your former teammates that I've had on the show that you were a lot of fun as a teammate. Is there a particularly funny moment that you can share with us?
1: Oh, gee, whiskers. Probably all alcohol-related. We weren't uh, as professional as, um, as the chaps today. Wow. And I, I mean, so much of the humor is um, humorous because it's edgy. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be discussed on the uh, on the airwaves. Gee, Whiskers, you well, You should have asked me to prepare. There's so many humorous moments. I played with so many great characters, humorous moments. Anytime Andrew Patterson opened his mouth was a humorous moment. Um, Andrew Patterson was one of the great storytellers. Most of his stories were about me. Um, and he he would often tell the story about how I would mimic the Canadian anthem. Uh and they and uh, I got the nickname of the mini mini vanilli of Canadian rugby because I never knew the words. Not that I knew the the South African words. Gee whiskers, that was a that was a mouthful. I I had a few fines for not uh, getting the words right of the South African anthem as well, When it switched to the the, the English Afrikaans and causa. Um the causa was was quite daunting. So, yeah, oh, there were so many funny moments. <laughs> I, I we'll have to do another show and focus on, on the funny moments.
0: All right, let's do that, uh, Christian. Uh, something else, um, sort of on the other side of the spectrum. I've also heard that from a coach's point of view, you could be quite difficult to manage. What would you say about that?
1: <laughs> I think I think I was more difficult to manage from a fly half's perspective. Um, as I touched on earlier, I think I was an absolute pain in the backside for most of the playoffs I ever played with. Um, I'll tell you one funny story. When I, when I played those tests for South Africa, I played outside of Henry Honeyball, and um, we were preparing for the, the that game against Scotland, and um, we were going through their attacking plays and, and who would defend where, and I went into this whole monologue of who went where and if he came there and you went there and that ball went there and I went on for about seemed like twenty minutes to most of the guys. And then they went to Henry Honeyball and they said, Henry. And Henry said, I'll just tackle the guy with a ball. And that was Henry Honeyball. So I never argued with him. <laughs> he was a man of few words and he was a he was a unique rugby player. Well, certainly a unique fly off in that sense that he was um the opposite of what I spoke about earlier, which is communicating and structuring. Not that he didn't structure, but he was he was a, a quiet chap by nature. Phenomenal rugby player. And um, yeah, but outside of that, I think every fly half I ever played with found me difficult to, 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 to manage. And there was a reason for that. It was because I was always, I would argue that at centre, you see things the fly half doesn't see. So the fly-off would call stuff and not necessarily the right stuff. Because if I've seen that the and outside centers hanging back or the wings back and we've got space, then I would often like cancel a move and override. So when I had a good relation with the fly half, he would understand that and not think that I was trying to take over the show. I wasn't trying to take over the show. I was just trying to look for space.
0: Of course.
1: The coaches all love by the way. The coaches <laughs> love me. They didn't have a problem with it.
0: Absolutely. No doubt about it.
1: But.
0: <laughs> Kristen, tell us, uh, what are you up to these days? <laughs>
1: I'm in the property business um, down in Cape Town. We've got a commercial property broking business, and I'm involved in a property portfolio of industrial properties and do a little bit of developing. And yeah, I mean, my job is to put food on the table, three kids. And um, yeah, my oldest boy is actually on a plane to London. I haven't been to London since I'd actually worked out, I hadn't been to London since 1998. So I'm going to be visiting soon there. He's going to work in London. Um, And, yeah, I play a bit of golf. Uh, Too much golf, in fact. Should work harder. I love golf. I think most ex-sportsmen find their home post-sport on a golf course. Try to do a bit of cycling. Um, Need to do more cycling. Uh, But otherwise, very fortunate to live in Cape Town. It's a magnificent city. We've uh, certainly got our challenges in this country, but uh, I'm very positive that we have to be positive. We don't have an option. Very positive that things are going to turn around. And, um, yeah, I'll leave it there. I've got a few political views, but I'll leave that to my mate Rob Hirstop. (laughs)
0: Sounds good to me. Uh, this is not a political show anyway, so uh, we'll leave it at that. And uh, I might add, Christian, uh, for me, Cape Town, London, and Istanbul—those are my three favourite uh, international cities. Oh, and you've wow. mentioned, yeah, yeah, you've mentioned two of them there. Um, so let's wrap it up then with a look at the trivia question. In 2022, the Springboks suffered a first-ever defeat at home against a certain European opponent. Name the team. Do you know the answer, Christian?
1: It must have. It wasn't Italy. Because we lost to Italy in Italy. So I, I think we lost to Ireland for the first time in South Africa.
0: So we did actually, we did lose to Ireland, but that was in 20... We lost to Wales. That's it,
1: that's it, Wales. Wales for the first time in South Africa.
0: Absolutely, quite right. Uh, 13-12 in Bloemfontein uh, was the score. Luckily, we had won the first test and then we went on to win the the third test as well. So at least we won the series. Uh, Well done, Christian. Um, Let me say, thank you very, very much for being available today. It was lovely having you as a guest here on Front Row Rugby. And hopefully we can have you back again in the future.
1: Excellent, Peter. Lovely uh, chatting and reminiscing and it's brought back all those wonderful memories. Thank you.
0: Last time on Front Row Rugby, I had 1995 Rugby World Cup champion Henny Larue on the show. You can go and watch that video. It's appearing on your screen right now. Next time, we'll have 1998 Tri-Nations winner Peter Rousseau. This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. If you enjoyed this content, please consider subscribing and sharing with your friends. See you next time.